Welcome to Bridging the Distance, a Project Refine podcast dedicated to emotional support through this difficult time of social distancing and isolation. Today we are tackling why sleep has suddenly gotten so hard for most people. I'm right there with you. Dr. Michael Bruce, also known as the Sleep Doctor, is here today to help us all wrap our heads around why our sleep is so different during this pandemic. And he is sharing solid tips specific to this time of COVID and the pandemic and all of the stress related with it for getting a good night's sleep. Dr. Bruce is a psychologist in high demand right now for his years of sleep science. And you can see more of him on Dr. Oz, the Today Show, and many more forums. Check out the links to his website and our details. But for now, let's just jump right in. Dr. Bruce, you have built your entire career helping people learn to sleep better. And I highly recommend anyone with sleep issues, check out your TED Talks, your books, or go to your website, thesleepdoctor.com, to work on issues that existed before the quarantine. Today, though, there is no chance your practice isn't inundated with people who are, were once good <laughs> sleepers, now complaining that the stay-at-home orders, the quarantine, have completely disrupted their sleep patterns. Let's just start there. What do you want us to know? What's the science? Well, so first of all, thank you for having me on. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity for me to educate your, your members of your groups. And also, hopefully, they'll be able to educate their family members with all of this important information from the entire series. So thank you so much for um, putting that together and allowing me to be a part of it. I really appreciate it. You know, when we talk about COVID and we talk about sleep, it's really quite fascinating that I would argue that the least expensive and the most effective way to improve your immune function is with better sleep. The data is actually super consistent on this. And so if you, if you think back all the way back to high school biology, right, and you learned about these things called killer T cells, right? And so killer T cells are white blood cells that actually help fight infection, virus, foreign pathogens, things like that. Well, here's the thing is sleep, specifically stage three and four sleep, which is that physical restoration, that wake up and feel awesome sleep, that particular stage of sleep actually helps foster killer T cell production. So if there's anything that we want during COVID, it's stage three, four sleep. Okay, Dr. Bruce, that sounds good, but how the heck do I get more stage three, four sleep? I don't even know how much stage four, three, four sleep I've got. Like, how do I do that? So this actually falls into the second aspect of to why we're having so many difficulties with sleep. The first one has to do with our scheduling, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But the biggest issue is movement. Now, you probably wouldn't have expected to hear a sleep specialist talking about movement, but it turns out the, what's the number one thing that our bodies do during recovery? We recover from our physical movement. That's part of what sleep is, right? It's healing. It's healing the body. Well, when your body isn't actually exercising and moving, it doesn't need as much healing. So guess what happens? Your sleep gets a little bit lighter and it's much easier for you to wake up. So if you can do anything during this time, it's move. Now, here's the thing that's unfortunate is we don't even think about our movement usually, right? So I remember back in the time when people would figure out, you know, how many steps are you taking, right? So I saw a celebrity who uh, tweeted yesterday that they they took 200 steps and it was two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And it's like, normally yeah, you'd be at 6,000 steps or something like that, right? And so that's part of the problem is, is even our ancillary movement, not just our exercise, which a lot of people have been doing a good job of keeping on board and doing that and maybe walking the dog one extra time or something like that. But 
the general amount of movement that people have has dramatically, dramatically decreased. And this is having a direct effect on our sleep. The second big thing that's uh, interesting is that now people are starting to feel fatigued because they're not moving so much. And so what are they doing? They're drinking coffee, right? And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing an elevation in stimulant use, which is not necessarily a great idea. I mean, let's be fair. This is arguably the most anxiety-provoking time in our lives. I don't know about you, but I've never been in a time like this that I can think of where there was this type of stress in this big of a format, right? And so when you start to think about that, why would you want to add a stimulant to that mix, like caffeine? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But here's what's happening. People are, instead of having that pot of coffee that was at the office, they make a pot at home. And then they're like, oh, I'm, I'm dragging because I just went from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. You know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go grab a cup of coffee. And then, you know, maybe somebody in their house is swinging by and they're like, oh, I noticed you didn't have much coffee. Oh, they pour you a little bit more. Before you know it, you're drinking three or four cups a day and you're drinking it well into the evening. People don't realize that but caffeine has a half-life of between six and eight hours. So it's definitely having an effect on your ability not only to fall asleep, but the quality of the sleep that you're getting turns out to be really not so good. And this brings me to my second point. There's a great study at the University of San Francisco about two years ago where they took people, this was fascinating, they took people who had a good night's sleep, they gave them the flu shot, and then they exposed them to the flu. Only about 10% of the people got the flu. They took the people, they took different people who had a terrible night's sleep, gave them the flu shot, exposed them to the flu, and almost 70% of the people got the flu. Okay, so when we do get to the point where there is an inoculation, you damn well better get a good night's sleep before you get the inoculation. Otherwise, there's a very high likelihood that it's not going to work, right? And so why is that important? Because of this idea of improving our physically restorative sleep. So if we're getting that good fresh sleep the night before and then we get our inoculation, we have far better likelihood of, of being able to accept it and being able to use it in a productive way. So when we start to think about all the different things that we should be considering doing during times of COVID in, in order to help our sleep, I came up with a list of about seven or eight things that I'd love to share to give everybody some very practical tips of what to do next. Is that okay? Yes, please. All right. So here are my seven steps uh, to get a good night's sleep during a pandemic. So step number one is to give yourself a media diet 90 minutes prior to going to sleep. What on earth is a media diet, Dr. Bruce? Let's be clear, guys. Nobody needs to hear how many people died of COVID right before bed, okay? You just don't need that kind of data in your head, right? And so here's what I'm telling people. Do something fun. Watch a romantic comedy. Read a book. Spend some time with your bed partner. Uh, do something that slowly allows you to have a positive experience before bed. Now, here's the thing. This isn't just some woo-woo stuff. This is, there's real science behind this. So it turns out that if, you, if you're optimistic before bed, meaning that you're thinking about something that's more positive, not only do you fall asleep more quickly, which can be very helpful right now, but you have more positive dreams. That gets really interesting because there's a phenomenon going on right now called Quarren Dreaming. So these are people who are having these very vivid, very stressful, in some cases, nightmare dreams simply because of what's going on with COVID. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But in order to set yourself up for having a good night's sleep, 
do yourself a favor and you want to be doing something positive before bed. Now, also to be fair, if you are going to be watching television or reading or doing something in a lit room, you probably want blue light blocking glasses. So if you don't know what blue light blocking glasses are, there's actually some that are out there. I prefer the ones with the amber lenses. I actually developed my own line of blue light blocking glasses. For v- folks out there who are part of the Chadwick community, we donated blue light blocking glasses to all of the faculty last week because all they're doing is right is doing all these Zoom call after Zoom call. Their eyes are getting tired. They're noticing a level of fatigue. And so hopefully you can see those on the, on the faculty and maybe even um, get some for your kids because both of my kids wear them when they're gaming and it has a dramatic effect on their melatonin production. So let me give you the quick science behind blue light blocking glasses. Light from any source has a particular wavelength in it called blue light. This blue light hits a particular cell in your eye called a melanopsin cell and turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain. So blue light turns melatonin off. However, if you've got the blue light blocking glasses, it doesn't. And so you can still watch TV, read a book, your kids can play their video games and not have this effect on their sleep. So this is one of the ways that you don't have to get into a battle royale and say, hey, you're not going to be able to watch video games before bed. You can actually use these blue light blocking glasses and save yourself a little bit of wear and tear on your relationship with your child. I love that. Let me ask you, where do you get them? Um, Sleepdoctorglasses.com. Very nice. You can get them. They're discounted there. It's super easy for him. Um, The second thing is that I'm asking people to try to use progressive muscle relaxation before bed. Now, many people might not know what progressive muscle relaxation is. And so we're going to provide you with a link to a, a website where you can download a progressive muscle relaxation for free. There's no obligation here whatsoever going to warn you, it's my voice. Some people think I have a melodious voice. Some people are not so sure. So um, it is me walking you through this progressive muscle relaxation, but it's a wonderful technique that helps you tense and relax your muscles from the top of your head to the tip of your toes. Honestly, I've never gotten through the whole thing without falling asleep myself. And it's perfect for lots of my, uh, for lots of my people. It's a great distraction, but it's also a good relaxer. So I definitely want people to consider that. The other thing that you can do right before bed, again, this kind of falls along the lines of being optimistic, is create a gratitude list. So I'm a big fan of this. And again, this falls under the idea of optimism before bed. But if you're thinking about the positive things that are going on in your life before bed, it will have a positive effect on your dreams. You will fall asleep more quickly. And to be fair, it's a great distraction from all the other stuff that's going on. Because let's be very clear here. This is the most stressful time we've probably all ever been in. And it's not the usual kinds of stress either. And that's part of the problem. It Look, I love my family, but I've been cooped up in my house with them for eight weeks. Nobody's got the skill set for that, right? I mean, people don't know what their career is going to be looking like. People don't know what their health is going to look like. And they're also fearful for their family's health, for their parents' health, for their children's health. So there's a lot of different types of stressors going on. Honestly, when you get into bed, it's probably the only time that somebody isn't talking to you about this stuff. So what happens? All the thoughts come flooding in and then you're stuck 
in what I, what my wife calls monkey mind, right? It's just on and on. It goes and goes and goes. So using these things to distract you, whether it's the progressive muscle relaxation, whether it's watching a romantic comedy, uh, you know, or just wearing, you know, the blue light blocking glasses and, and making a gratitude list. All of these things are very positive ways to be able to affect your sleep in a positive way. Now, besides before bed, there is one other, there, well, there are actually several others, but one thing that you must, must, must do is keep a consistent wake up time. Notice I didn't say bedtime because I know some people may want to watch Netflix until the wee hours of the morning, but you really want to keep a consistent wake up time. And here's why. Your entire circadian rhythm, which is your internal biological clock, runs off of the wake up time. And so if you wake up at the same time, let's pick 6.30 in the morning, if your body knows when it's going to wake up, then it knows how to sleep. In fact, what I discovered is by keeping my, my wake up time super duper consistent, the amount of sleep that my body actually requires is less. Yes. I actually sleep. I only sleep about six hours and 15 minutes. I'm the sleep doctor for God's sakes, right? And I only sleep six hours and 15 minutes. But the reason is, is because my sleep is so consistent. I fall asleep almost right around midnight. I wake up right around 6.15, 6.30, and I have tons of energy during the day. I rarely have to drink caffeine, but it's all about this level of consistency in my wake-up time. Now, that also brings up the idea of napping. Lots of people have asked me about napping, especially during quarantine. They're like, my bedroom is literally right there. Why can't I just sneak in there for 30 minutes to 45 minutes and take a, and take a nap? Here's the problem. When you take a nap, you lower your sleep drive, which makes it more difficult to fall asleep at night. So generally speaking, if you can avoid any extra napping, I really would avoid it at all costs. Now, to be fair, if you and your doctor have decided that you taking a 25 to 30 minute nap during the day is something that's good and you were doing this before COVID, I don't think I have a real issue with it, but don't start napping during COVID because it's going to tilt your entire clock off and I promise you, it's not going to make you feel better. It's more than likely going to make you feel worse. If you absolutely, positively must take a nap because you are just dragging it, don't nap longer than 20 minutes, period, end of story. Here's why. When you nap longer than that, you get into the deeper stages of sleep. You ever wake up from a nap and feel worse, not better? That's because you nap too long. Don't nap over 20 minutes, especially right now. And if you can avoid napping altogether, I certainly would. So here's another interesting uh, little COVID fact. Alcohol and caffeine are both up over 40%, 4-0. Okay, so more people are drinking and more people are drinking caffeine and alcohol than anything before. Now, we talked a little bit about why caffeine is probably not a great idea, especially during COVID, but we really didn't get a chance to talk much about alcohol. So let's just break that down or unpack that a little bit right now. To be clear, alcohol disrupts immune function. There is no doubt about this in anybody's mind in the medical community, okay? So when you're drinking alcohol, you're lowering your ability to fight disease, period. So that's fact number one. Fact number two is there's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out right? And so here's the deal is just because you've got a wine cellar doesn't mean you should utilize the entire wine cellar during COVID. I have people who call me up and they're like, Michael, we bought this amazing case of red wine. We're having a bottle each night. It's amazing. And I'm like, no, 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 not the great idea. Alcohol directly affects that physical restoration that we were talking about. Remember that stage three, four sleep that's so important for our killer T cell production. Alcohol makes that less. 
So if we're not moving, we have less physically restorative sleep. If we're drinking alcohol, we have less physically restorative sleep. And by the way, same holds true with caffeine. If we're drinking too much caffeine, we're not getting the physical restoration. Arguably, this is the most important time to get that physical restoration. So if you can, I would say one glass of wine, sure. I got no problems with that, even two. But once you get past two glasses, you're going to kind of have a problem. So here's my general rule is if you drink one glass of wine, drink one glass of water, wait one hour before bed. If you drink two glasses of wine, drink two glasses of water and wait two hours before bed. Once you go past two glasses, unfortunately, alcohol doesn't have a depressing effect or a soothing effect. It can actually have an accelerant or an energetic effect, especially in men. Men can have a tendency to get aggressive after their third drink. So I can't think of a worse time to get hammered and get aggressive and get energized at night you know, during COVID. That just seems like a bad idea. So again, really take a look at alcohol if you can. Another thing that could be fun is taking a hot shower or a hot bath before bed. So for folks out there who want to just be able to get themselves to chill out a little bit more, I mean, you got to remember that sleep is not an on-off switch. It's kind of slowly like pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. There's sort of a process that occurs there. And so one of the easy things that you can do is raise your core body temperature by having a hot bath. You don't want to raise your core body temperature with exercise because that keeps your core body temperature too high before bed and makes it difficult to fall asleep. But if you take a hot bath about 90 minutes before bed, it increases your core body temperature just enough so that when you get out of that tub, it falls and that's a signal to your brain to release melatonin. So there's lots of little tricks that you can do here. A bubble bath is better than a regular bath. Why on earth is that? So it turns out that the bubbles form a layer of insulation across the water and keep the water hotter longer. And so that actually works out better. So Mr. Bubble is definitely your friend during COVID-19 if you can get a nice bubble bath going. And also, I would say throw a little lavender in there. There's data to show that um, lavender can actually help with a relaxation effect. And you know what? Throw your bed partner in there too. Have a little intimacy, relax, have some fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with that before bed either. And then my other thing that I tell people all the time, and this isn't something that a lot of people have thought about, but I think you should, is the cleanliness of your environment, right? And so especially if you've got animals, you've got kids, I'm not claiming that anybody out there doesn't have a clean home, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of dirt and dust and stuff that's coming through and we're staying in our homes more. So if you, for example, have a HEPA filter attached to your air conditioning system, change the filter, right? Like it, now is the time to switch those filters out because it's probably been collecting quite a bit of stuff that you don't want to be rebreathing. Um, I would also, if you have a humidifier, I would consider bringing humidifiers out and get a little bit more humidity in the air. What we do is we walk around, uh, or at least I do, I walk around sometimes at least once a week and I open every window in the house and then I walk around and I close every window in the house. Just get some fresh air into your house. Like these are things that make a lot of sense yeah, of course you're washing your hands. Of course you're doing all those things. But for us, we're washing our sheets at least twice a week in super hot water. Again, it's just, it's not a bad idea to try to get as clean as you possibly can right now. So these are some of the recommendations that I'm making for people during COVID that I think they'll find to be um, quite helpful and uh, they should be able to allow them to get a little bit of a reduction in stress. I am going to give you the website for people to be able to get the progressive muscle relaxation for free. That's actually on my website, which is www.thesleepdoctor.com forward slash sleep hyphen pandemic. 
And it's a landing page with all COVID-related information. It'll give you different ways to reduce stress. And it also will give you uh, information. And if you catch COVID, how should your sleep habits change? Because the, the, it's actually quite different if you get COVID. So remember, sleep is the healing time. And so if you do happen to contract COVID, you actually want to sleep as much as possible. You probably don't want to follow the, I have to wake up at the same time every day. And there's, again, all all kinds of rules that you can find on the website uh, for more information. Wow. (laughs) Phenomenal. Love it. And I love that you have a whole piece on your website just for what we're going through because so many people who never had a sleep issue are suddenly right. the corn dreaming. We didn't get back to that, but I'm actually, I'm oh, one of the people who, who is question. having crazy dreams, crazy yeah, yeah, vivid yeah. dreams. So, Tell me about corn dreaming. Sure. So uh, recently we've kind of discovered this new idea that we're calling quarren dreaming. Um, and so, as I've said, you know, we're talking about a tremendous amount of stress here, right? So many people are stressed out. And so we know that dreams, or at least we think our theory about dreams is that dreams are where we process information. So we know that during REM sleep is when we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. This is important because we need to be able to get data for retrieval, to answer questions, do procedures, all these kinds of different things. So we, need, we, we know that, that the dreaming process has to do with moving that information from short-term to long-term. Well, we also know that it's, it's not just the, the movement, but it's actually our ability to accept the information, our ability to psychologically process this information is actually also what's going on, we think, during dreaming. And so it's not a big surprise to me at all that people would be having crazy dreams because these are pretty crazy times. So first of all, if you are having some goofy dreams, that is 100% normal. You should be having some goofy dreams right now because, again, this is a pretty goofy time for for most of us. There's a very interesting data set that came out from uh, Dr. Barry Krakow at the University of New Mexico, and he's discovered this thing called rehearsal imagery training. And so this is a nightmare treatment that is actually very effective and highly interesting. So what people do is you write down your dream in exquisite detail, every single thing you, you can imagine. But at the end where like you're being chased, you know, by somebody who's trying to kill you, you turn it around, you flip the script as it were, and you become the victor, whether you kill them or they're no longer, you escape or what have you. And you actually change that in the written word in the dream. And then you read the dream with the new ending four or five times before bed within three to five days, you actually change the ending in your head. It's so wow. cool. So that is cool. But personally speaking, I find that these dreams are, they're not necessarily more scary, but they're vivid in a way that makes me wake up feeling tired where I didn't feel tired before. What's that all about? So that's not an uncommon situation either. And so when people have very vivid dreams historically, whether it was times of COVID or not, um, we have a tendency to see that people report, hey, I feel exhausted from my dreaming. Like I've had patients turn to me and say, I need to get some sleep from my sleep, you know, because I, I kind of feel that way. So oftentimes that's an indicator that there's been a lot of emotional processing that's gone on during that particular dream, because again, we're just using a lot more brain activity there and glucose, quite frankly. So it's not a particularly big surprise. If it's one of those things where you feel like it's happening every single night that way, then that's probably something that you might want to talk with your doctor about. But at the end of the day, the good news here is, is that 
it's the natural process of allowing your body to get through this information. So if if you do feel that way, then what I tell people all the time is be sure to follow my recommendations of get up at the same time, don't nap during the day. And if you can add some exercise in there, that usually helps with that overwhelming feeling of exhaustion in the morning. But the other big thing is that a lot of people need to drink water every morning and they need to get sunlight every morning. And that also seems to help with some of these vivid dreams and this exhaustion. You're the sleep doctor. We all know we are in uncharted territory right now. What's different about your sleep or your family's sleep that you've noticed inside your own home? So for our for our family, here's what I can tell you has been interesting. So my son, Cooper, has done something very unique, not what I was expecting him to do. He still wakes up every single day as though he were going to school and showers and and gets in front of his computer. Like he still is keeping his routine which has actually been incredibly beneficial because he's getting to the class on time. He's and and he looks nice and he feels as though that's how he can like start his day with the shower and breakfast and the whole thing. I think a lot of kids are not doing that. I think a lot of kids are showing up to class, you know, in sweatpants with their hair sticking straight up type of thing because they've stayed up late and they've slept late. So that's one thing that Cooper's done that's been kind of interesting. Now my daughter Carson has done the opposite. So she, and so for people who don't know, we actually had to evacuate her from Beijing this year. She was uh, studying abroad in Beijing. So she's actually taking classes online for China. So her classes don't actually start until like four o'clock in the afternoon. So she's sleeping until like 11 <laughs> every day. And then she's up in the, in the later part of the evening. The thing that she's doing though, that I think is good is she's keeping the schedule consistent. So again, once her courses are over, which is in about, I think, a week, she'll probably move back towards being closer to schedule. And one of the things that she's requested from me is she's a swimmer. And so, of course, unfortunately now, nobody's able to go to pools. And so she's really interested in, the, in getting back into doing some more physical activity. So we're working on some of those things around here. So she's walking the dog more and things like that. We're, so again, we're trying to improve our levels of movement because we know that movement has been so far down. Also, to be really fair, it's really easy to get on each other's nerves right now. I mean, look, if you're locked in your house with your family for eight weeks, it's not that I don't love my family. It's not that they don't love me, but eight weeks is a long time to be in the same four walls, right? So one of the things that we're really making an effort to do is to give each other our, their space. And so if somebody seems to be getting upset about something that they don't usually get upset about, we've kind of decided, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a few minutes to chill out and relax. Everybody's kind of allowed to have their one little blow up and then come back and say, okay, sorry, that was my COVID weirdness setting in. Um, and then we kind of get back to our, our new normal, as it were. Boy, do I know that one. <laughs> Let's talk about the kids for a second. They seem to be gravitating to late night socialization on the video games. And I, I don't want to stop it because frankly, that's when they're doing it. They're staying up late on their video games, but it's actually a big piece of their socialization. What are you telling kids? So this is a tough one um, because we are because there is such isolation and the only way that these kids are getting social interaction is through video game portals and things like that. What we're trying to do is trying to just keep the timing reasonable. So, you know, setting an electronic curfew is probably not the worst idea in the world, right? You know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night type of thing to stop playing video games really doesn't seem like a particularly difficult restriction. Although you will get some feedback from your children. Oh my God, that's terrible, blah, blah, blah. 
But I think if at the end of the day, if you can keep the video games so that they're not playing video games within about 90 minutes before lights out, I think you're going to be in good shape. But in our house, sure, our, the kids play games. Mostly my son is actually doing uh, Zoom calls these days with his friends. And that seems to be more interesting to them than actually playing video games. And I don't think I have a big problem with the Zoom calls because at the end of the day, again, it's not that level of engagement that you would normally see with a video game. With video games, the kids are in it. They're trying to win. They're engaged. They're not trying to get rested and, and relax before bed. And so having a little runway before bed is certainly going to be helpful for them. Great advice. Tell that to my 24-year-old. Okay, <laughs> just kidding. Yep, 24-year-olds are the tough ones. Dreading going to sleep, is particularly in this time with the anxiety and depression and fear mongering kind of during the day, I think we're suppressing a level of emotionally dealing with what is coming at us. You look at the New York Times this weekend with the list of names of people who've died. Most people are still waiting to know somebody close to them, but it hasn't happened yet. And there's that buildup of fear that seems to become more pronounced at night, as we all know. That dread, that fear people come up with. What do you say to that? And how do you moderate that during the day so it's less of an issue at night? So it's really difficult thinking through the idea of somebody is potentially going to get sick. And then also it's difficult to kind of think through the idea of, well, what if that that illness leads to something more, more significant, right? So I've had many patients contact me who've had multiple people in their extended family and even in some of their close families contract COVID. And so it's this very pensive, weird waiting game that everybody seems to be playing, right? It's like, it's kind of like the reverse of the lottery, right? You don't want to win this lottery ticket type of thing. And you're wondering who you know that's going to win it. And is it going to be you next? And the second factor of it is that it's this invisible combatant, right? It's like, you can't see it. You don't know if, I mean, you could go out to the grocery store, get exposed to it, have no idea. And then two weeks later, you could be you know, sick from it. So there's a lot of paranoia, I think, that's also kind of creeping into that. And so the way I always talk to people about dealing with paranoia is with education and with data. If you want to look at the numbers, the likelihood that you know somebody that's going to get this is probably pretty high, but the likelihood that you know somebody who's going to get this and die is incredibly low. So when you start to think through this as an idea, there's an acceptance that I think we all have to get to the point of because at some point, we're all going to get exposed to COVID and how those our bodies react to that and what medicines and treatments we have that are out there are going to really be dependent upon how closely we shelter in place and how closely we kind of follow those types of guidelines. Once again, if you're not immunocompromised, if you're not over 65, if you don't have asthma, you really don't have a tremendous amount to worry about. Are you going to get it? Probably. Are you going to survive? There's a very high likelihood that you will. So I'm not saying run out and have a party, but what I am saying is, is that accepting the idea that it's going to happen eventually and being prepared for it and knowing and understanding how to see when you have the symptoms early or if anybody in your family does, and then being able to take the proper precautions is probably the best thing that you can do. We all want to be able to control the situation, especially for people that we care about. 
people that we're worried about, our parents, people that are immunosuppressed, people who are recovering from cancer treatments, people who are recovering from surgeries. I mean, there's a whole host of people out there. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying those people shouldn't be taking extra precautions because quite frankly, they should. And if they can avoid getting it as long as they can, again, they should. Remember something is that Again, I'm not making light of the fact that people are getting sick and that people could potentially perish. But what I am saying is, is that this is a big deal and we should take it seriously, but it is not going to end society as we know it. I guarantee you that. Can you share with us some of your advice on supplements and other things we can do to improve our health? So there's some really interesting information looking at vitamin D. And like again, this is early stage data, but it's certainly things, something that could be helpful something like 95% of the deaths are people who are vitamin D deficient. It's an it's astronomical number. Now, to be fair, most people are vitamin D deficient here in the United States. That's not because we don't get enough sunlight, but it has to do with our food sources and uh, things like that. Do yourself a favor. Go buy vitamin D3, 5,000 international units. And that sounds like a lot. It's a pill that's like super itty bitty, teeny tiny. Take it every morning and just do it. Just just take 5,000 units of vitamin D. Number one, it's certainly not going to hurt you. And number two, it could absolutely be helpful. To be clear, make sure that it doesn't interact with any medications that you're taking. Talk to your doctor. But generally speaking, vitamin D3 is a fat-soluble hormone, and it is something that all of us could use. It also helps uh, as a circadian pacemaker as well. So it actually helps with your sleep uh, as well. And that's another thing we didn't talk about are some of the supplements that people could be thinking about. Um, vitamin D isn't the only one. Magnesium turns out to be another big, big, big one. Now, magnesium is interesting specifically during COVID because um, magnesium is really only available either in a supplementation form or in whole, a whole food format. And so what unfortunately happens is you'd have to eat like a bushel of kale in order to get enough magnesium for like a day. It's unbelievable because our, our soil has been so overtilled that the magnesium isn't actually coming up through the, the root structure of the plant. And so we're not really getting it. And so another thing I'm recommending to people is uh, see if you're magnesium deficient and consider taking magnesium. I personally prefer to take magnesium. Um, I take it every day. Uh, there's various formats, but I, I wanted to give everybody my favorite recipe for how you can take magnesium super easy at home. So it turns out that bananas are loaded with magnesium, but the peel has three times the amount of magnesium as the fruit itself. So here's what I have people do is take a regular organic banana and wash it off, cut off the tip and the stem, right? Cut it in half, leave the fruit in it and the peel on it. So you've basically got a half, two halves of a banana with the, the, the peel is still on it, but the stem and the tip is off. Drop it into about three cups of boiling water and boil it till it turns brown and drink the water. It's loaded with magnesium. It's very, as my daughter Carson says, banana E, dad. So you really have to like the flavor of, of banana. It, it interacts with absolutely nothing. You can give it to children. You can give it to seniors. It's a great little sleep drink that you can have about 30 minutes before bed. It won't cost you a dime and it's 100% natural. Well, I guess it'll cost you probably about a dime for a banana. That, wow, I've never heard that one. That's awesome. Um, the other big part about banana tea that's nice for folks out there is it does, if you have any issues with constipation, it actually keeps you super regular. So that's another aspect that people seem to like as well. I know you've been working with doctors from other countries, particularly Italy, where they're a few weeks ahead of us. What have you learned? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So one of the things we've definitely learned, at least initially, is 
it definitely has a different effect on people who are ages 60 and up. There's no question about it. And Italy had such a large elderly population that that we think is one of the reasons that they've gotten hit the hardest. Also, um, there's been some really interesting data looking at melatonin that's been coming uh, out from all over the world. Now, this is animal data only, so this is not in human trials yet, but there has been some very interesting data to look at how melatonin stops something called the cytokine storm. So when COVID enters the body, it has a very particular reaction to these things inside your body called cytokines, and melatonin helps create a balance of that. When you have a deficiency in melatonin, it turns out that there's no balance and then the cytokine storm happens and then a person gets pneumonia and then they walk down that, that very difficult path. So what's interesting is when you hit about age 55 or 60, your melatonin production starts to go down, right? And so when you start to think, when you start to put the pieces of data together, you start to say to yourself, hmm, I wonder what could be going on here. And so what we're thinking, part of the reason that many children have not gotten uh, COVID and or have not had uh, serious bouts of COVID is because they have such high levels of melatonin. So once again, <laughs> if you're thinking through these different ideas, if you use melatonin in the evenings, it's probably not a bad idea. You do not want to go over three milligrams. Um, if you do not use melatonin, now is not the time to institute or start something new to be clear. Um, but if it's something that you are using, it could, it could actually turn out to be um, quite helpful. And then the biggest thing that we've learned really from Italy has been that social distancing actually works. If people, if people just pay attention to what they're doing, you'll be pleasantly surprised at how you can avoid getting COVID and staying safe you know, uh, in, in your universe, in your world. That is such great advice. I could ask you a thousand more questions because I find it <laughs> fascinating. I love that you're doing this. I love that you're helping people. In this way, there are so many natural things people can be doing to get through this incredibly unnatural time. And right. people are very quick, as Dr. Debbie, who I work with, yep. uh, is quick to point out, a lot of people are jumping to the idea they need medication to balance their anxiety and depression. Right. She's a huge proponent of saying, fill up your toolkit first with everything Absolutely. you need. It's a functionality thing. Mm -hmm. What are your top three or four things that you want to make sure everybody's filling up their toolkit with? Sure. So if you're going to fill up your toolkit, number one, consistency in your wake-up time. I cannot express this enough. Wake up at the same time every single day because it keeps your circadian rhythm aligned and every single other function in your body, over 300 functions in your body are linked to your circadian system. And by the way, some of those functions have to do with anxiety and some of those functions have to do with depression. So it, keeping a consistent wake-up time, it's the best thing that you can possibly do. That's tool number one. Tool number two, don't drink alcohol. Uh, if you're going to drink, keep it to two drinks, honestly. Nobody needs alcohol. I get it. You need to relax a little bit. Have, have one. Have two. Stop it too. It really has a dramatic effect on the physical restoration of sleep, and you really need that physical restoration right now. Um, the, big, the other big thing, number three, is find ways to be optimistic before bed. This is an easy, easy fix for making your dream processes a lot more positive. If you are somebody who during this period of time has noticed that they've had a, they had a normal level of anxiety and that anxiety level has elevated pretty significantly, do not hesitate to contact somebody to get help. 
I don't think that we're saying that you don't, we don't want you to get a prescription. We don't want you to get help, but we want you to look at all of the options before you actually reach out to get a prescription. There's a lot of people out there who can be super helpful with talk therapy. I know most therapists now are doing face-to-face uh, like Zoom calls and things like that for people. So please, 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 just because you're socially distanced doesn't mean that you need to be isolated from everybody, right? Because isolation is what drives depression, is what drives anxiety. And so when you're feeling anxious and that, that is the time to reach out, that is the time to listen to these podcasts, to get the information and to contact people because you are a 100% not alone. The depression, anxiety, suicidality, isolation, loneliness, it's all through the roof right now. So please, you know, if you are feeling those feelings, connect with somebody that you care about and see if you can seek out help. And if you need a prescription, so what? So you need a prescription. This is the weirdest freaking time in the universe right now. I might need a prescription before this is all said and done. There's no judgment, right? If you're, ha- if you're having a tough time and you need to reach out to somebody, reach out. That is exactly the best advice I can imagine. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You said that so well. I am so excited to start new routines around our house and start feeling better right away. I just can tell. There's so much good information in there. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you on behalf of all the people who are listening. 